0: As Kai said, we're in 1 John chapter 3. If you notice from last week, it's the same text that we're looking at because we're going to Look at a couple of topics, namely justification and sanctification, that have been discussed over the past few weeks in the book of 1 John. The reason we're doing that is because these theological doctrines are important. So every now and then, as we're going exegetically, line by line, chapter by chapter, through the book of 1 John, every now and then, when I deem it appropriate, we'll pause And we'll look at some of the topics that John has sort of gone over, although he may not have gone over them explicitly. The reason we're doing this, again, is because the greater you know God, the greater your intimacy with God. And the greater you know theology, the greater your relationship with God will be. So there's a link in this chain that is one after another. It's consecutive. So if we neglect one aspect of our faith... The rest of our faith will be compromised, so we're going to make sure we continue to focus on the deep things of the Lord. As I mentioned, my title for us this morning is Justification and Sanctification. When it comes to the Christian life, there are essentially two primary doctrines, and they are, as I've said, justification and sanctification. And There are a plethora of books written on the incomparable doctrines. Of justification and sanctification. In fact, you can even say that Martin Luther is to blame for this reality because until the Reformation in 1531, when Martin Luther aimed at reforming the known church at that time, the doctrine of justification was taking a different road, but it was biblical. And it was important for the biblical body of Christ, the biblical church, to know those doctrines that made them what they were. So today I want to camp out on a couple of topics that have presented themselves on a few occasions as we've meandered through the epistle of 1 John, a couple of doctrines that I believe are incredibly important. And as I've said, they are, help me out, justification and sanctification. First of all, justification. There is the doctrine of justification. It is a doctrine that is preeminent among the other Christian doctrines because justification is the doctrine that studies how a person is put in a right standing with God. Without justification, there is no forgiveness from God, there is no reconciliation with God, no adoption into the family of God, and no future glory to anticipate in heaven. Justification is the theological trunk, and all other theological tenets branch out from it. To put it simply, to be justified is to stand in the right or to be counted or declared as right by God. I'm going to say that again so you can write it down. To be justified is to stand in the right or to be counted or declared as right before God. We might say righteous. In fact, the root word for both justified and righteous is actually the same word. So we could say this both linguistically and biblically and be correct. One must be righteous in order to be justified, and to be justified, one must be righteous. And herein lies our problem, church. The Bible says, thank you, Bruce, the Bible says again and again human beings are not righteous. We aren't right with God, and we aren't right with God because of our sin. We aren't righteous. Sin is an offense to God who is holy and just, and therefore he must punish sin and sinners. There is no separation of those two things. So there's no way around this problem of sin. It must be dealt with fairly and judicially if God would be righteous himself. Paul once said this, None is righteous, no, not one. That's Romans 3.10. Job literally asks the question in Job chapter 9, verse 2, when he says, How can a man be right before God? And that is to say, how can a man be justified? How then indeed does someone become justified in the sight of God? I'm glad that you asked. There's a couple of things, a few things that are come up here on the screen. I want you to write these down. First, I want you to note that God's grace has made justification possible. God's grace has made justification possible. Listen, church, God is gracious. The riches of his love and mercy and forgiveness, which we can never deserve or earn, are made freely available to us by virtue of his grace. Without God's gracious character, justification would not be possible. When Paul discussed justification in Romans chapter 3, an incredible chapter, he says that sinners are, quote, justified by his grace as a gift. Did you get that? We are justified by God, by his grace, as a gift. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. There you have it. Justification would not be a consideration if God were not gracious. In fact, theologian Herman Bavinck correctly writes this, I believe, quote, Grace is the beginning, the middle, and the end of the entire framework of salvation. It is totally devoid of human merit. Church, what Herman Bavick is saying, and correctly, is this. When we get saved in the beginning and when we are saved in the end and everything in between, it is not because we deserve it. It's not because we can earn it. It is all made available to us by virtue of the fact that God is, help me out, gracious. Second, Jesus' death made justification obtainable. This is the second thing I want you to know. Jesus' death made justification obtainable. First of all, it's made possible by the fact that God is gracious in his character. But second of all, it is obtainable by us because Jesus' death made it so. The serious issue that we face as sinners is that there is no middle ground that we can construct to help us achieve forgiveness or righteousness or heaven. We simply do not possess what is required to bridge the gap between our sinfulness and God's glory, but Jesus But Jesus came from heaven to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. As it has once been said, the Son of God became a man so that men might become sons and daughters of God. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, we get a very good and very clear picture of this. If you want to turn back one chapter in the epistle of 1 John, look at chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, you're going to get a good picture of what it is we're talking about when we say that Jesus' death made God's grace obtainable for us, justification obtainable for us. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 say this, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, which is to say, everyone sins, we have a what? An advocate with the Father, and his name is Jesus Christ. What? The righteous. Right there, we see two things that are completely unavoidable when it comes to the doctrine of justification. Number one, we're sinners. And number two, Jesus is what? Righteous. That is justification in a nutshell. We're sinners and Jesus is righteous. John continues, verse two Jesus, he, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins. And That is to say, propitiation, a word we went over many weeks ago, that means God's wrath is appeased because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. His wrath is not against us anymore. God is not angry with his people. His wrath is on sinners, the unredeemed, the unregenerate, yes. God's judgment will come against sinners, yes. But will God's wrath and judgment be revealed against his own people? No! Why? Because his people are good? No. No. But because his people are justified. Justified how? They're sinners. Well, yes. But they're justified in the righteous Jesus Christ. So God is gracious, and Jesus the righteous is our advocate with the Father. And this leads to the final observation, which is faith. So God's grace makes this possible. Jesus' death makes justification obtainable. Finally, faith makes justification receivable. In each and every verse that discusses justification, the means by which it is received is always faith. It is always faith. The Bible never teaches us that people go to heaven because they're good. There are none good. No, not one. The Bible never teaches us that people are forgiven because their intentions are more important than their actions. The Bible never teaches us, furthermore, that eventually everyone, regardless of the life that they live or the belief systems that they hold, will eventually be redeemed and go to heaven. No. The Bible tells us that we are, listen to my words, justified by faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ the righteous on our behalf. John MacArthur writes this, the immediate result of that union of a sinner with Jesus is God's free gift of justification by which he declares believers to be righteous because of their union with the righteous one, the Lord Jesus. Let me read that again because it's a great quote and I want you to get it. We've already talked about some of these points, but I want you to hear it in one succinct sentence. The immediate result How fast does it happen? Immediately. The immediate result of that faith union of a person placing their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior is God's free gift of justification by which he declares believers to be righteous because of their union with the righteous one, the Lord Jesus. That is good. That is good. I want to share a couple of verses with you. I think they're on the screen, Eli, are they? Yes, they are. Okay, great. So they're on the screen here. You can jot them down. If you'd like to um, chase them down in your Bible, you can do that. If you want to make a note of it and go later, chase it down uh, this afternoon or during the week, you can certainly do that as well. But I have them there so that you don't lose where we are for the sake of this morning's message. Romans chapter 3, verse 28 says, We hold that one is what? Justified by faith. A part of from works of the law, meaning no one is going to go to heaven because they're that good. Paul is saying that we are justified by what? By faith. Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Indeed, Paul says, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through what? Faith. Faith. In whom? In Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That is justification, church. We are justified in the eyes of God, not because of what we can do or would do or should have done. We are justified and declared righteous by faith in the righteous one whose righteousness is credited to our account. In other words, to summarize this, justification is made possible to us through God's grace. It is personally obtainable because of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, and it is receivable only by the means of faith. If God wasn't gracious, we'd all be doomed. Had Jesus not died on the cross for our sins, the penalty would not be paid, and we would be doomed. If we don't believe, although Jesus did die on the cross for our sins, And although God is indeed gracious, if we do not believe, we are still doomed. The means by which justification is applied to us and we are declared righteous is faith. Justification is part of the good news of the gospel. Namely, that God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son that whoever... Believes on him. That word believe in the Greek is pistuo. It believe is not in the Greek, it means to faith. We say believe, and it's kind of been watered down and diluted. This is what John is saying God so loved the world that whoever faiths his son will not perish but have eternal life. We aren't just, he is we are justified those are not the same thing there's a difference he took our sin and by faith we are counted as righteous by virtue of our connection with him 1 peter chapter 3 verse 18 says this beautiful verse i love it 1 peter 3:18 christ suffered once for sins the righteous For the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Did you get that? The righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Guess who the us is? The unrighteous. (laughs) He died once, the righteous, for the unrighteous, us, so that he could bring us, the unrighteous, to God. And how can he bring us to God? He is Jesus Christ, the righteous. And when we appear before the Lord, it's the Son who says, Today you will be with me in paradise. Not by virtue of what we've done, but by virtue of what he has done and the connection we have with him by faith. Church, that's justification in a nutshell. And we could go on and on and on. And theologians do go on and on and on. Not only because it is a deep and rich doctrine, but because the application is mind-boggling. To think of who I am and what I've done and what I would be without him, and then to think of the fact that in Christ I'm declared righteous is mind-boggling to me. But we're not only talking about justification this morning, we're also talking about what? sanctification and it is a necessary follow up to justification the word sanctification is the root word hagios which in the greek means holy it means clean it means set apart it means special in one sentence sanctification is joined to justification They happen in tandem. But in another instance, sanctification is successive to justification. Let me say that again. In one sense, sanctification is joined to justification. But in another sense, sanctification is successive to justification. I want to explain this. First, sanctification is joined to justification. So this miraculous event happens at conversion. When you become a Christian, you are justified, and you are sanctified. Instantaneously, there's a logical order to it, but we're not going to get into all of that. It happens once and for all. It's done. At our conversion, God separates us, sanctifies us, from the world. We are no longer seen as part of the world, in its system, fallen recipients of God's wrath, but instead redeemed, regenerated, forgiven, and standing, declared righteous in Christ. We argue about a lot of different things in our country and around the world. God only sees two different kinds of people, those who are in Christ and those who are not. We are no longer his enemies, but we are his family and members of the body of Christ it's a once-and-for-all thing, and we can clearly see this taught by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, we have this from the Apostle Paul. Listen to it. He says to the church at Corinth, You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. Get this. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ... And by the Spirit of our God. I'm going to read this one more time. I want you to hear what Paul is saying. You were washed. He's speaking to these Christians, right? The Christians in the church of Corinth. He's saying, guys, don't act this way like the world. Don't be sinful. Why? Because you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of your God, that is to say something that has already been done. What's interesting in this verse is that these main words, washed, sanctified, and justified, all happen together, and they're all in the aorist tense in the Greek, which means it's a past tense form, which refers to a completed event with ongoing implications. A completed event with ongoing implications. So when Paul says, you were washed, he's saying you were washed once and for all. You were sanctified. You were sanctified once and for all. You were justified. You were justified. Help me out. Once and for all. all. There's a sense in which this work on your behalf by God and his son, Jesus Christ, and the spirit is done. Done. This point that I want to share with you first and foremost is that if you are in Christ, you are separate from the world. You are sanctified. Done. But there's another sense in which sanctification is successive to justification. In other words, there are two parts to sanctification. The first part is God separates us from the world once and for all. The second part is is that While justification is the declaration of righteousness for the believer, sanctification is the working of righteousness in the believer. This is that second part. While justification is the counting of righteous for a believer, sanctification is the working of that righteousness in the believer. While justification is positional in nature... We are declared righteous when we are in Christ. Sanctification is practical in nature. We are working toward godliness and righteousness. Sanctification, in a word, is the process by which we grow into our family name and resemblance. So how does this happen? Justification deals with us positionally, sanctification deals with us practically. And the two are inseparable. There is no such thing as someone who goes off living whatever life that they want while they claim to be justified. Look again at what Kai read earlier. 1 John chapter 3 verse 4. Let me know when you're there by saying amen. It says, "Everyone, how many Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in the world to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. So, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. To put it in the context of our study this morning, no one who is justified gets off without being sanctified. Everyone who is being sanctified is justified, and everyone who is justified is in the process of sanctification. Say, I am. am. Now, you might not be as far along as you ought to be, but my Father is working on his people, and he's calling us to work with him in this work. So I want to share those two points with you right now. First, what God starts, God finishes, What God starts, God finishes. Some of you need to just exhale right here, right now. Thank the Lord that what God starts, help me out, God finishes. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself, listen, sanctify you completely. May the God of peace sanctify you, how much? Completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless, which is sanctification, at the coming of the Lord Jesus, this is how he finishes it, He who calls you is faithful, he will do it. Did you get that? Paul is saying, may the God of peace sanctify you completely. Oh, by the way, he's faithful, he will do it. He will do it. So the first part of this progressive sanctification, this growing in holiness this having worked out in us the righteousness of our justification. It is what God starts, and what God starts, God finishes. Secondly, our work is expected. Our work is expected. Now, this is when that breath you just exhaled, now you've got to take a deep breath and get to work. Amen? Amen. Our work is expected. We simply aren't lying down on the job and allowing God to do this work on us, in us, through us, and around us. This is a work that God is doing on us, and in us, and around us through God the Holy Spirit. But even though he is doing it day in and day out, unlike justification, which is something that is external to us, Sanctification is something that is internal, and we are commanded to participate. We contribute nothing to justification. Jesus did that all for us. But when it comes to living with God as our Father and Jesus as our Lord, we have a lot of commands to follow. Commands like imitate Christ. 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1 commands like grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ in 2 Peter 3:18 and commands like be holy as he is holy in 1st Peter 1:16. We have a lot of commands like that. And those commands are part and parcel of our sanctifying process. God the Holy Spirit uses his inspired word to convict us, to encourage us, to challenge us, and to motivate us along our path of sanctification. We are not called to lie down and let God do it. God will do what he does. It is promised in his word. But with those promises comes commands. And we must heed those commands if we would be faithful. There are a few practical ways the New Testament addresses these things. I'm going to rattle off a few of them here. I'm not sure if they're on the screen or not. But there are four that four or five that I want to share with you. And uh, they're very sim- uh, fairly simple. So you can write them down in your notes. The first thing is this. How can we move along the sanctifying process? Number one, read your Bible. Man. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says, do not be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which means the renewing of your mind does not happen without the transformation, man. And how do we transform our mind? How do we transform our way of thinking? By inserting into our heart and mind the word of God, which reveals to us the mind of God. We must read our Bibles. We will not progress along the path of sanctification if we think like the world, act like the world, talk like the world, reason like the world. I love what Paul says. When I was a child, I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. I spoke like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Some of us have to come to the brutal awakening that we are skipping along the path of sanctification rather than working along the path of sanctification. I love what J.C. Ryle wrote. came across this quote this week, and it was just outstanding. I wanted to share it with you. He says... Perhaps you never read your Bible at all or only read an occasional chapter as a mere matter of form without interest, understanding, or self-application. Take my advice this day and change your plan. Begin to read the Bible like a man in earnest and never rest until you become familiar with it. Incredible couple of sentences. I couldn't say it better. Take the word of God seriously. And you will seriously be transformed by it. And that transformation is part of that sanctifying process. Here's another thing that we receive when it comes to practical ways in which we ought to be sanctified. Walking in the spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Walk in the spirit and you will not gratify. The lust of the flesh. Now, the flesh is just a sort of junk drawer term that refers to anything that is not spirit-motivated, spirit-blessed. Everything that we do ought to be done for God's glory and the good of those who are around us as we're motivated, not by our flesh, but by God, the Holy Spirit. You want to be sanctified? Amen? You want to move a along on that progressive sanctification path then walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. Here's another aspect that is part of our sanctifying process, sexual ethics. This is today perhaps as glaringly different from the world as it was in the time of the New Testament church when Rome looked a lot like a United States of America does today. We should have and be very proud of a glaringly different sexual ethic than the world. We should know who men are and what they are and what they look like. We should know who women are, what they are, and what they look like. And we should understand that a marriage is a covenant between a man and a woman. We don't mess with all this other stuff about sexuality is different from gender, and gender is different than sexuality, and biology has absolutely nothing to do with it. My scripture says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, that when God made man and woman, he made male and female. He breathed into him the breath of life, and he became a living soul. We don't see all that other stuff for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And when it does show itself, the scriptures say it is a perversion. That doesn't mean we don't love people. It doesn't mean we don't help people. But it does mean that we don't cower behind the pressure of a culture that doesn't know its right hand from its left. You need to be keenly aware of what the system that we call the world is trying to do to your family and to your children. They want your children, man. They want your children because they know that if they can get your children young, they've got those votes for the next, you name it. What is incredible to me is how many people are rebels before Jesus and they become rebels and they get calm. I'm like, where's that rebellious spirit that you had before Jesus? Now, I understand that when Jesus performed his ministry on the earth, we only have one record of him flipping a table, okay? So let's not go around saying, you know, well, Jesus flipped the table. Well, he didn't do it every other weekend. We see one incident of that, right? And it was in the face of people who knew better, okay? But at least we get... An expression from Jesus about the seriousness of sin in the face of which we ought to feel indignity. What's happening in this country when it comes to sexual ethics, it's a travesty and a tragedy, and it's abominable. What we do and don't do Sexually, is an issue of sanctification. It's not an issue of preference. It's not an issue of comfort. It's not an issue of hormones. It's not an issue of cultural acceptance. The cultural will accept anything. Sexual ethics is an issue of sanctification. And if you would be holy, and if you would grow in holiness you must have a biblical definition of sexuality. Here's another point. Loving your brother and your neighbor. This is part of your sanctification process. You cannot be on the path of sanctification if you are unloving toward your brother and unloving toward your neighbor. Look at what John says and John says. Chapter 3, verse 10. That's 1 John. Chapter 3, verse 10. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not from God. Get this. Nor is the one who does not what? Love his brother. Loving your brother and loving your neighbor is part of the path of sanctification. There are practical ways that we are sanctified and that we are called to participate in the sanctification process. And these are all examples of the ways in which we are called to this work by faith in Jesus Christ and Christ-likeness. Again, John MacArthur writes, Believers are not conformed to the image of Christ in an instant. Everybody's like, duh. But rather, they experience progressive transformation into his image by degrees. Another author writes, sanctification is a work of God. It is of him and through him and therefore also leads to him and serves to glorify him. I've asked this question before, but I think it's appropriate for me to ask it again. I'm not asking you if you're perfect today. I know you're not. Your spouse knows you're not. Your kids know you're not, Etc. We all know that we're not perfect. The scriptures say we're not perfect. What I do want to know, however, is if you are in the same position spiritually today as you were five years ago. If you are, you're in dire straits. You should be more Christ-like today than you were five years ago if you've been a Christian those five years. The discouraging thing that I see as a pastor so often is when somebody becomes a Christian and they catch fire. And they grow in those first few months, those first six months, and, and then they start to have a little trouble here at work and a little trouble in their family and and whatever else might happen, and they start to say, mm, I'm gonna scale back on how aggressively I'm pursuing Jesus. We see them take off and grow exponentially, and then they plateau, and it's discouraging. Because that's just what the enemy wants. In his very famous book, The Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis writes a book that imagines what one demon might say to another demon. Screwtape and Wormwood are writing letters back and forth, and it's sort of a a poetic drama in the sense that we get to read these letters that they're writing back and forth to each other. And it's interesting what happens when the young demon is told, my dear nephew, keep him out of the church. But if he gets in the church, just make him feel like he's good enough. The reality is we're impotent and powerless if we think we're good enough. We are no fear or threat to the kingdom of darkness if we think we're good enough. Each and every day, you and I have to wake up and make a conscious decision as justified people to be sanctified, to work forward, to achieve mileage on this path of sanctification that we hadn't before. We might say it like this, sanctification is becoming practically what we already are in God's eyes positionally. To close there are two primary doctrines in the Christian life. They are justification and sanctification. Now we've covered both of these as we've gone through 1 John and we've done it in depth this morning with the idea That knowledge motivates, and now that you know, as the saying goes, knowing is half the battle. You've got to motivate yourself and allow yourself to be motivated, to move forward in your positional standing with God practically, so that next week you look more like Jesus than you do this week, and so on and so on. Part of that is attending worship, reading the scriptures, loving your brother, loving your neighbor, fasting and praying. All of these are part and parcel of what is required to move forward in sanctification. Now, as I've taught you this, having done it, let me ask you where you are this morning. Are you exactly where you think you should be, or are you... Just shy. Are you surprised by where you are in your walk with the Lord? Pleasantly surprised. We don't want to be negative and harsh all the time. The truth of the matter is that some of us assess our lives and it's a miracle I'm here, right? Praise Jesus, I've come this far. But let's not grow complacent, let's not become apathetic. Let's ask God to stoke the fire, and let's do the things that he has called us to do to help fan that flame so that we would not extinguish the work of God in our lives. Amen.